The following is from East Delta Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at www.eastdeltabc.com. It's good to see you here. They asked if you were excited. I thought you weren't awake. That was the problem. I grew up in a country house, and whenever it rained, we had a sheet metal roof, and boy, you could really sleep. And I found that as it got older, we don't have sheet metal roofs in our churches But I have found there's a lot of people that sleep in church real well. And so they just kind of change location and come to another place. Well, it's good to be with you. I'm honored and always honored to get to come and speak to you. And I feel like we're almost home folk. I don't remember how many times I've gotten to be here. But it's always a pleasure when Jake calls and he says, could you help me out? I tell him, man, I would be honored to get to come and speak to your people because you are a wonderful church. You're a wonderful group of folks. And it's always an honor. I'm the one that gets blessed. But you're also blessed this morning because you've got another preacher in the house. You've got Morgan here, Morgan Malone. And uh, isn't that right? <clears throat> he looked at me like, that's not my name. And <laughs> I thought, <laughs> didn't I get it right? Brother Morgan used to be the pastor of First Baptist Church, Bonham. And then he left there, and and do you you call yourself the executive executive director or the director? Which one is it? The executive director of the Denton Baptist Association, in which the Lord took him from pastoring a church that he did a marvelous work in to put him in a place of leadership. Now he helps lots of pastors and lots of churches, and so you need to pray for him all the time. He's here. He should be the one preaching today and uh, because he is a good, good preacher. I've heard him preach. We've also served together on the executive board of the Baptist General Convention of Texas, and uh, we had lots of fun at those meetings. Sometimes we were pulling our hair out. What are we going to do with Texas Baptist? But he is a great man, and sometimes you need to have him come and preach for you because he is a tremendous, tremendous preacher. Well, today I saw coming in the door that you've got all the tennis shoes and the shoes there for the Buckner's people. And uh, that is a tremendous ministry. And I want to encourage you to give. And if you can't give a pair of shoes, give the money. And the reason I say that is because they can take the money And in certain areas, they can buy shoes much cheaper than what we can here in the United States. They can buy them overseas and other places. I remember them speaking to us in our church when I pastored at Emmanuel. And one of the people that was telling us said, we're focusing a work. It's over in the Southeast Asia where they've had the tsunami and a lot of the people were killed and so forth. And China is just right here. And we can buy a pair of Reeboks that you'll spend $60 or $70 or $100 for in the United States. We can buy them brand new coming out of the factory there in China for $3. So we can take your $60 and we can, that you've been spent for one, and we can buy 20 pairs with them and so forth. And they do this in different places. So, so, so you may not have enough money to go and buy tennis shoes because tennis shoes are expensive, are they not? This means yes. This means no. Are you with me? They are expensive, aren't they? And so as a result, you may not have the, the money in your budget where you can buy, but you may have $5 or $6 or whatever you can, 
give it because God will bless it. And secondly, I would encourage you to do a mission trip. Take a day and go to Buckner's in Dallas and help assemble the shoes as they're going out. They love for church groups to come and, and just come and spend a morning or spend a morning and an afternoon and helping them to get those things set up to where they can be utilized in the cargo boxes they go in, and they'll do all the loading and so forth and take them to the airports and the shipping and so forth, but they can always use hands-on of people helping putting them together, and it will bless your heart. And so think about it. I, I talked to one of the groups of our ladies at Emmanuel, and they said, oh, Brother Ryan, will to go and do it, and, and we can help. We'll go down there and get there at 8 o'clock in the morning, work till noon, and then it's not for just a little ways to one of the malls in Dallas, and we can spend the afternoon shopping. And I thought, now that's a, that's a mission trip, one way or the other. <laughs> And so forth. But they did, and they came back, and, and our church really got involved with it. And so it was a blessing to see this, and I'm encouraged and blessed to see you're doing this, okay? I want to share with you a message today, and I realize this is Father's Day. <clears throat> Didn't realize it till after I had talked to your pastor, and I told him what I was going to speak about a little bit. I want to do a play on words with you. And I want to speak to you about how to get rid of your pastor. Now, I want to first of all say you are a very unusual Baptist church because your pastor has been here, if I remember correctly, he's your pastor 17 years. Isn't that right? I believe that's right because I think the last time I was here, y'all were, were getting ready to celebrate that anniversary or so. Do you realize how unusual you are? I believe the average pastor stays in a Baptist church about two and a half to three, maybe four years. Am I right? I, I don't remember the latest stat, uh, data on this. But it's uh, unbelievable. I had a pastor search committee to approach me one time when I live in, was living in, in McGregor. They were from Cleburne. And they said, we want you to come and be our pastor. And I said, why? How do you know me? They said, well, we looked in the book and saw that y'all baptized a lot of people. And we want somebody strong in evangelism. And I said, well, okay. How long was your last pastor with you? And they said, two years. And I said, okay, that's short. How about the one before him? Two years. We don't let a pastor stay more than two years. And I said, folks, we have nothing to talk about. And the reason is, is because you're playing God. If God sends you the pastor, God's supposed to be the one to lead him away. Are you with me? And so as a result, <clears throat> they went their way, and, and they've gone through several pastors since I've been gone. I'm just glad I wasn't one of them. But I want to speak to you today about how to get rid of your pastor. There was a book written by Dr. Bill Thorne, who used to be one of the presidents from Dallas Baptist University, but it was written while he was pastoring in Wichita, Kansas, entitled A Bit of Honey. I don't know if you can find that book anywhere. I know it's out of print. You might find it in a used bookstore or somewhere, but it's a tremendous book, and one of the chapters was How to Get Rid of Your Pastor. So some of the thoughts that I using this come from him, but not all of them, okay? So I want you to know this is not something original with me. I'm not too original. I'm just different. 
And people always used to say to Emmanuel, we have no idea what you're fixing to do when it comes to church. And I looked at him, I said, I don't either. And that really terrified them. But it's, it's a thing that's enjoyable when we come to God's house to have our pastor who is there and to be able to love him and to be loved by him. But I want to share some things with you about how to get rid of your pastor, okay? So if you have your Bible, I want you to turn with me to the book of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 and 13. And I want to ask you to join me in standing in honor of God's word. And Paul is writing to these people at a church in Thessalonica. He was writing to them not about focusing on the pastor. What he was writing to them about was the fact that some people were going around and telling these Christian people that Jesus had already come again. And then some of them were saying, well, I'm not sure about that. Well, they were saying he's going to come, but your loved ones who've died in the Lord, they're going to miss out on all these things. They're not going to go to heaven. So Paul writes to them about the surety of Jesus coming again and about those our loved ones he'll bring with him and so forth. But he also deals with some other issues. And here in chapter 5, beginning with verse 12, follow with me in your Bible. It says, Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, and who admonish you. He's speaking about pastors. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work, and live in peace with each other. Would you join me in prayer? Father, thank you for your love and your grace. And Father, thank you that we can gather here in your house this day on Father's Day. And, and Father, we just want to say we love you with all of our hearts, with all of our being. And Lord, we thank you for the pastors you give to us. And we ask you to search our hearts and our lives this day and, and help us to be the church people and the people of God you would have us to be in loving our pastor and loving those who serve in our pulpits those who lead us and direct us. Father, bless them this day. And Father, as we study from your word these few moments together, may the Lord Jesus be exalted and honored and glorified, for it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The Apostle Paul was saying to them, you need to honor these people, you need to respect them, and you need to let them know that you love them and honor them and respect them. There was a study that was done some years ago that it talked about different, different occupations. And as they listed the different occupations out of about 20 or so occupations that were there, the one for the highest respect was not pastors. You would think so, men of the cloth, as they're called sometimes, you'd think they would be there. Believe it or not, the one on the bottom rung of that group was used car salesmen. Are you with me? And just above them was a pastor's. Pastors were highly regarded only more than used car salesmen. Now, does that not tell us something? 
And in our society today, we have some pastors who go around getting involved in political issues, making names for themselves. And you can go to coffee shops and bring up the names of some of those men, and you will hear lost men and even other men speak words of disdain regarding them. The role of the pastor is such that I've had many people sometimes, they would tell me how I ought to preach what I ought to preach, and I say, well, here, you preach. And they say, oh, you won't get me up there. And I've had numbers of men say, I wouldn't have your job for all the money in the whole world. Now, that just makes you feel so good to know that you've got a job that nobody wants. It just makes you feel thrilled that they could give them all the money in the world and they wouldn't try your job for a little bit. That tells you something, does it not? And I have seen parents tell their sons and their daughters that as God has spoken to them about being a pastor, missionary, or pastor's wife, or, or church leader, whatever it be, I've had people, I've had one lady tell her son, I'd rather see you dead than to be a preacher. Now, what does that tell us? What kind of, of a spirit does that put inside these young people? So there comes a time we need to come back to what the Scripture says, and we need to honor them and respect those that God has placed to work with us and to help lead us. Well, the first thing you need to do of how to get rid of your pastor is to pray for him. You need to pray for him every day. Lift him up in prayer. The scripture says we are to pray for him. We are to pray for them and ask God to bless them. And you say, well, I don't even like my pastor. Well, that doesn't excuse you. God says you're just supposed to pray for him anyway. And when you pray for him, you're going to see God do some things in his life because you lift him up to the Lord every day. He's going to become and be that man of God God wants him to be and you may not like his preaching. That's okay. People don't like my preaching. I had them at Emmanuel. I was there for 26 years. And I'd have people who slept in church all the time. I was talking to a friend this past week. <clears throat> if you read in the Paris News, there was a young woman who was killed out on Highway 82 named Mindy Dobbs. Mindy Dobbs was one of the young people in our, our church years ago. And uh, Mindy's mother and father were big in rodeo and so forth, and Mindy was involved in it, and, and her brother was also in it. And uh, I was talking to her brother. We hadn't seen one another for about five years, and I saw him the other day at the house, and he, big, big guy. And boy, he gave me a big hug. Brother Randall, so good to see you. And he hugged me hard, and I thought, I hope it's not any better because he's going to kill me hugging me so hard. And uh, I said, it's good to see you. How are you doing? He said, fine. And somebody said, did he come to your church? I said, yeah, but he never heard a word I said. And they said, what do you mean? I said, he would always sit at the end of the pew. And in our pews, we had a, a crown at the end that came straight across. And I said, he would always get on the end of a pew, cock that arm like this, lean his head over, and he would go to sleep every time. And, and his, his face got red, and he started laughing and, I, and the other guy looked at me. He said, are you serious? I said, all the time. And he looked at me kind of funny. I said, but you have to understand, he didn't get home till 4 o'clock in the morning. They'd been at a rodeo, and they had been going through everything they had done. He was a calf roper. And I said, he got home at 4 o'clock, got his horse put up, got to bed in time to catch about two hours sleep. His mother had him up and had him in church. I said, I was thrilled to see Glenn in church all the time, even though I never heard a word I said. 
And, and he laughed. He said, well, I heard a little bit more than you thought I did. And I said, no, you didn't. They had to tell you at dinner table what I preached about. <laughs> well, we had this relationship. And you see, when, when you pray for your pastor, God's going to work in him building relationship and other people and with people. Funeral times come. You're not going to know what to say. You pray and ask God for words to speak. And many times the Holy Spirit just comes upon you. And you will share things. And people walk out saying, thank God you were there. Thank God for what you said. Thank God. Oh, you cannot understand how meaningful it is. Yeah, I can. But you see, when you pray for him, even though you may not like the way he preaches and you may sleep through the sermon and so forth, God's going to use those prayers to help him to become a great pastor. And as he becomes that great pastor, your church is going to grow. And you know what's going to happen? Your church is going to get a reputation. And pretty soon there's going to be another church that's lost their pastor and they need a pastor in which the people love him and, and he's a great pastor and the church is growing. And guess what? They're going to come and steal him away from you. That's one of the ways you learn how to get rid of your pastor. You pray for him. Now, folks, that's tongue-in-cheek humor, okay? But one of two things is going to happen when you pray for him. God is going to bless you and your relationship to him, and God's going to bless you and your relationship with your pastor. The second thing you do, and Baptists don't want to talk about this a whole lot, you pay him and pay him well. Paul writes in in the Corinthian letter, he said, you don't muzzle the ox. And he is speaking there in chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians about the rights of an apostle. And he said, God has, the Lord has appointed it that a man is to make his living from sharing the word of God. Meaning, the church has a responsibility to take care of their pastor and his financial needs and responsibilities. Now, folks, I can say all these things because I'm no longer pastoring. But you know what? The biggest criticism, I would say, that befalls to the church is when they are discussing a pastor's salary, they say, well, I think he can get by on this. Folks, God doesn't want God's men to be so burdened down with debt and the financial responsibilities that come to him. God does not want the community talking about the pastor is slow on paying his bills each month. God wants that man to be a shining example of a church that loves his pastor and a church that is willing to do what needs to be done to take care of that pastor. And when you do this, you say, well, now, you know, our pastor, he works at another job. That does not alleviate your responsibility under God. Amen? Or is it, oh, me? Because a lot of people say, well, he's got another job. God does not give you that permission to, to neglect what is your responsibility or any churches. Because you see, by what you give to him, he may use in God's ministry. I had a secretary who one day came to me. She said, Here, here's a, a glove gift from a family who came and, and, and gave this offering because of your speaking at a funeral. And I said, okay. And they said, what do I do with it? And I said, we're getting ready to go to youth camp. We've got two kids, don't have a way to go. Apply that to their scholarship. She looked at me, she said, you don't keep the money? And I said, no, I don't. I said, the church takes care of me, but I can use this to help somebody else. Do you hear what I'm saying? 
because you help take care of your pastor, it lets him be free of financial creditors and others who may be on his case. When my wife and I bought our house in Paris, there was an older couple that was sitting there, and we were talking before church started that evening, and, and Brother Miller looked at me. He said, Preacher, how is it to have your own house? I said, It's wonderful. He said, Really? And I said, Yeah. He said, Why? I said, Because my wife can do anything she wants to, and we don't have to have a church committee meeting to begin with. When we bought our house, we walked away from the abstract office. I had in my wife the keys. I said, honey, here's the keys to your house. She said, well, I don't need them. I said, yes, you do. That's your house. If you want to knock a wall out, if you want to paint it green or purple on the inside or do whatever you want to, you don't have to have a committee. You can do what you want to do with it. And she had never lived outside of the parsonage as long as we'd been married. You understand what I'm saying? Some people say, well, we'll just help him get by. Well, Brother Miller looked at me, and he said, well, that's good. He said, what kind of interest did you get at the bank? And I said, 13%. He said, my Lord, I wouldn't pay that. I said, three months ago, it was 18%. It has come down to 13 He said, that's still too high. And I said, that's just the way it is. I said, Brother Miller, do you realize how much I pay in taxes? Preachers don't have to pay taxes. I said, oh, yes, we do. And do you realize your pastor has to pay Social Security on both sides of it? And if you choose to pay half of it, like your business may require of you, you pay half and the business owner does the other half, your pastor has to pay for what you pay for. And did you realize that if he lives in a parsonage, and, and I'm, I don't know where your pastor lives or whatever, but if he lives in a parsonage, IRS requires him to figure the fair market value of what the rent would be on that parsonage per month, total it up for a year, then he has to pay taxes on it. And I talked to a church not long ago who was without a pastor, and they said, well, we're going to pay him so much per week, but then we're going to furnish him a parsonage, and that would be part of his salary. I said, do you realize he has to pay taxes on that? And they said, no, it doesn't. I said, you go check. You're penalizing him. And so they looked at it, and they came back, and they said, we didn't realize you were serious about that. I said, oh, yes. He has to pay taxes on all these things. One lady on that committee said, I didn't even know he had to pay any taxes. I thought he got everything tax-free. And I said, you wish. You wish. But you see, when, when we take care of God's man and his family, Brother Miller was talking to me. He said, well, preacher, that's just terrible. And I looked at him and I said, Harry, when's the last time you bought a pair of children's tennis shoes? And he looked at me kind of funny. He said, well, my kids are all grown. I said, well, what about your grandkids? He said, well, we haven't bought them. And I said, well, when you bought a last pair of tennis shoes, I said, how much did y'all pay for them? And his wife sitting there, Mary Bell, and she said, we paid $4. I said, you know what a pair of tennis shoes cost now? And I said, we buy our sons and so forth. I said, if we can buy them on sale, it, we're paying anywhere from 45 to 60-something dollars on sale. They said, my word. Folks, let me tell you, I have a son. Some of you may know him. His name is Carrie Scott. Works as Heritage at the nursing home there. He's their marketing person. He's 6'5". That boy in one year went through eight pair of tennis shoes. He'd walk in, he'd walk in, Brother Morgan, he'd say, Daddy, 
I'm going through another growth spurt. I said, how do you know? He said, I can't get full. I'm so hungry. I'm just hungry, hungry, hungry. And I looked at him. We had bought him a pair of brand-new tennis shoes. It cost us $75 on sale because he had a narrow foot. They fitted him. Three weeks later, he walks in. He said, Daddy, I've hit another growth spurt. And besides, my toes are rubbing the end of my shoes already. Went through eight pairs of shoes in one year's time. He wears a size 15. So when he goes water skiing, we don't use any skis. We just use his shoes. Are you with me? Now, you help a pastor be free of financial responsibilities. You're praying for him. God's going to be working in his heart and life. He is going to work himself to death because he's not distracted. And he can be the person God wants him to be. And if he works himself into a heart attack because he works so hard and you're loving him, well, you got rid of him. You paid him well. Or he's going to do so well, the church is going to grow. And guess what? Somebody who needs a pastor who can help them to grow is going to come and take him away from you. So you pay him well and help take care of him. The third point is you participate. You participate in the ministry that God has given to you. When you read in the book of Philippians, in Philippians 1, starting with verse 3, Paul says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you for your co-ministry or your fellowship in the ministry that we have labored together. And I'm convinced God will carry forth in you in the days to come. Paul was saying to the people at Philippi, I thank God for you because of the ministry that you have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have been co-laborers. We have worked together in him. You see the word there in this translation says partnership, meaning we're on the same plane of serving the Lord. And he says, as we work together, then we are serving the Lord together and being what God would have us to be together, and as you are participating in the church ministry, God will use you to impact the world around you. You have a ministry. My mother is 100 years old. She's in a nursing home in Richardson. She was always a housewife until about age 55. She decided that since our father was retiring, she needed to go to work, and, and make some much or make some quarters in Social Security, she would have a retirement. Well, she worked at a nursing home as a nurse's aide. And she worked beginning age 55 until two weeks before her 85th birthday. I asked her one day, Mother, how long are you going to have to work? How many quarters does it take for you to be able to retire? She said, I don't know. And I said, well, why? She said, son, I love what I'm doing. And I said, well, that's good. She said, you don't understand. She said, I would work for nothing. And I said, why is that? She said, because these are all my friends and neighbors that I grew up with, and I'm helping them and as they go through these problems with age. And I said, mother, that's a ministry, isn't it? And she looked at me and she said, Son, you're the only one who recognizes what I feel about it. God put me there, and this is my ministry to help. Do you understand what Paul is saying? Paul is saying each and every one of you have a ministry. I have some friends. He is a very, very fine and outstanding artist. His name is Kenneth Wyatt. Kenneth Wyatt does Western art, 
as well as, as Christian art, and he's, he's known worldwide for the stuff that he does. They have a gallery in Red River, New Mexico. His wife used to be able to go because of health reasons she can't now, would go there and she'd operate that gallery in the summer. And people would just look forward to getting to come on vacation so they could see Vita Wyatt. Sometimes Kenneth would be there, sometimes he wasn't. He used to be a Methodist pastor and he has spoken all over the country. He's an unbelievably gifted man, but they are two of the most spirit-filled Christians I've ever been around, unbelievable people. One day, Vita and I were talking, and as we were visiting, I asked her, I said, how do you like being up here? Kenneth's back in Tulia, you're here. How do you deal with it? She said, it's tough, but I know I'm where God wants me to be in this gallery. And I said, it's a ministry, isn't it? And she looked at me, and she said, it really is. She said, I get to talk to people about the Lord. I get to share Christ's love with people. She said, it's a ministry that I have in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul was saying to the people at Philippi, I have my ministry, you have yours. We're in partnership together. And in the church, do you not realize that when you participate in the things that's going on in the church, it enhances the kingdom's work of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it enhances your relationship with your pastor? So many times as a pastor, we would have to go to deacons' meetings to try to get the church to do something, and it's like trying to sell a new car to them. Sometimes the pastors are so weighted down by the care of the church and the burden of the church because people will find any excuse in the world they can to escape coming to church. The writer of Hebrews says, forsake not the assembling of the saints as others do. What does that mean? It means I should be in church on Sunday. And if you can't be here, you should be somewhere else. When we're on vacation, we always go to church on Sunday. Even if we're traveling down the highway, we will time it and we will work to where we're at church somewhere. And then we come back and people say, what did y'all do last Sunday? You had the day off. You, I bet you skipped church, didn't you? No, we went to church. Where did you go? Well, we went to this little church here, or we went to this little church here, or we found this church on the highway, and we stopped, and we went to church with them. You know what? We always got blessed. It's a wonderful thing to be blessed. But you see, when you don't participate, you give the devil the foothold he wants to destroy your ministry or the Lord's ministry. I heard the story about the preacher who moved to town. He was in a new place. And as he got to the new place, he had a yard there that he needed to mow. His mower was, was trashed and so forth. And he saw a boy down the street who was mowing, and he thought, maybe I can get him to come and mow. And so I'll talk to him. Well, the preacher got out his bicycle, and he liked to ride the bicycle for his health and exercise. He's riding down the street, so he stops at the little boy, and he says, son, how are you doing with mowing? He said, fine. He said, do you mow other people's yards? He said, no. And he said, well, I need somebody to mow it. He said, well, I'll tell you what, I don't have a bicycle. I sure would like your bicycle. And it was an older model of bicycle. And the pastor said, well, I tell you what, I need a lawnmower. And the little boy said, I'll trade you. So they traded lawnmower for bicycle. Preacher takes the lawnmower, goes home with it, gets out in the yard, gets his work clothes on, and he starts pulling on that rope to get that lawnmower to work. And it won't start. And it won't start. 
and it won't start. <clears throat> Little boy comes riding by on the bicycle. Preacher, how do you like the lawnmower? He says, son, you said this thing ran. It won't work. He said, it will if you do what you're supposed to. He said, what's that? He said, cuss it. The preacher said, I don't cuss it. He said, you pull on that rope long enough, you will. The devil wants to destroy the preacher's ministry even if it means cussing a lawnmower. Because sometimes it only takes one word to destroy that ministry. And he wants to destroy the ministry of the church. And one of the ways is by not participating. Being in church in summertime. If you're off at a family reunion, go to church. If you're off at the lake, go to church. If you're in the Metroplex going to Six Flags or the Ranger game or whatever's going on, go to church. Wherever you are, be in God's house on that day because when you get back, people are going to say, well, what did y'all do on Sunday? Oh, we had to go do this. We had to go do that. And you know what? That is a devil's foothold. But when you tell people we went to worship, they're going to say, did you on vacation? Yeah. Isn't that wonderful? And you don't miss the blessing God wants you to have. And it encourages your pastor to let him know that when my people aren't here, they're in God's house somewhere. And you know what? You'll find out about something that maybe happened in that church. Come back and you'll share it with the pastor. And it's a good idea. And it's implemented here. And it helps reach people for Christ. And when that happens, your church is going to grow. Because as you implement new ideas and new things and put them to work and let God work in it, the word's going to go out. People want to be a part of a church that's doing something and where the Spirit of Christ is reigning and moving and they, they come and they're welcomed and, and they're brought in and, and they're received in such a warm way. We went into one church on vacation one day. We walked in this place. There were eight people sitting at the front. They turned around and looked at us as we walked through the door. And we sat down. It was my wife and I and two grandsons. They never said a word to us. Finally, after the preacher got up and spoke and said the final amen, then they turned around and they said, now let's greet these folks who've come to meet us. If we'd been like a lot of folks, we'd have turned around and walked out. Do you realize that people within about 16 seconds make a decision whether they'll come back to a church or not? based upon the reception they receive when they walk in the door? Do you realize that 85% of the people who visit your church come because not because the preacher or the musicians or the deacons or anybody else, it's because you invited them. And so we, we walked away and I asked my grandsons, I said, how'd y'all like it? They said, well, it was kind of funny that nobody spoke to us. But you see, when you see those things, then you come back and you make a point. We're not going to let that happen in our church. Somebody will be at the door at all times to greet anybody and everybody who comes in because we want them to know they're welcome at East Delta Baptist Church. Amen? Now, that's a sorry amen. amen. Amen? All right. And as a result, your church grows. And as the church grows, guess what? Somebody's going to hear about it, and they're going to come and take your pastor off your hands. And the last thing, the last point is you protect him. Now, this gets kind of touchy. Galatians 
It says we are to bear one another's burdens, forsaking not the grace of God. The burden that your pastor has is a heavy burden, a tremendous burden. Because he's got to be what God wants him to be. And he's got to preach God's word even though there comes times you don't want to say those things because you know some folks are going to get upset about it. But as you do this, you understand there's going to be repercussions as a minister. I had a man confront me a week after I'd preached this sermon. Not this sermon, but a sermon there at a church where I was pastoring. And he walked up to me during Sunday school time. He said, I, I couldn't get to you last Sunday. There were some folks wanting to see you after church. He said, I want to tell you, that was the sorriest sermon I have ever preached from the pulpit in this church. So he didn't see me on the day it happened. He saw me the next Sunday about 15 minutes before I was to go into the pulpit. How do you think that made a preacher feel? It's terrible, isn't it, Morgan? You can't be free to be what Christ wants you to be because you're battling the devil who's working through his son who's working there in the church. And it may not be somebody who does that. It may be somebody who's out in the community gossiping. Now, I don't think y'all have a gossip group down here, do you? No, y'all wouldn't have one. But you know, it happens in every church. And you know, the most frustrated person you can have in a community, in a town, is for the town gossip or the community gossip to have some of the most juicy gossip she wants to share or he wants to share. And he comes up to you and he'll test his spirit and he'll say something like this, have you heard the latest about the preacher? And you knowing his character and his nature, you know it's not going to be good. And you know what your response should be? Is you tell him, no, and I don't want to hear it. You're talking about my pastor, and I don't appreciate it. So you go on your way, and don't you tell anybody else about it, because if I hear about it, and I hear you're the one spreading it, I'm going to call you before the church, because the Scripture says we're not to have anything to do with backbiting and slandering and character assassination. You're out of fellowship with God and with the church. And you know what? The most frustrated person is the person who's confronted with that, and they don't have anybody who listen. They've got this juicy gossip, and they're wanting to spread it, and they won't spread it, but nobody will listen. Man, do they get frustrated. So they'll go and try to find the Methodist or a Church of Christ, somebody else to tell it to. And you know what? That destroys the work of Christ in your church. And you may be as a deacon or, or a church leader, you may not agree with everything your pastor may do, but God does not give you permission to go out and do those things to hinder the body of Christ. So you protect him by standing up for him. And sometimes you may have to go to that person and say, listen, brother, you're out of the will of God because Matthew 18 says if you've got something against our pastor, you go and you talk to him or if you've got a problem with somebody else, you go and talk to them and get reconciled to those people. If they won't hear you, we'll take two witnesses to hear the whole matter. If they won't hear it, we'll bring it before the church. But don't you go to the coffee shop or the barber shop or, or the blacksmith shop or don't you go to the beauty shop or the grocery store telling all of these things. Tell you a story about the predecessor 
that was at First Baptist in Bonham, one of the greatest men of God I've ever known in my life, Bill Beasley. And Brother Beasley is a gentleman's gentleman. Well, there was a person in that church who got mad at Brother Beasley. I never didn't know what it was about. I didn't know anything about it until it was over. <clears throat> and this guy decided we're going to get rid of Brother Bill. He'd been there about 10 years, 12 years. So he started a petition campaign. And he made this, the decision that he was going to let Brother Beasley know what was going on. So he called Brother Bill. Do you know this story? So he called Brother Beasley and said, I just want you to know, don't agree with what you're doing and so forth, don't like you. So I've started a petition. I've got a number of folks that have signed up for it. We're going to come on Wednesday night to church and present it at business meeting and have you dismissed. Brother Beasley said, you do whatever you feel like you ought to do. And they hung up. Bill Beasley picked up the phone then and called a guy named John Armstrong. Do you remember John? John was president of one of the banks there, was one of the deacons, I believe chairman of the deacons at the time. And Brother Beasley said, John, you need to know what's going on. Told him what was happening. John said, what do you want me to do about it? Brother Beasley said, John, it's your decision. And he just hung up. The man next door to me worked at the VA hospital. When he got home at 5.15 that afternoon, there was a car sitting in, his, in front of his house with four deacons from First Baptist Church in it. That man got out of his car, Brother Beasley, or, or the John Armstrong and his men got out, and they met him there in the driveway, and they said, we understand you called our pastor. You did such and such, such and such. Is that right? He said, yes. They said, we're telling you right now, cease and desist, or we are going to go before the church and kick you and your wife and your two children out of the church, and we're going to t confront everybody that's on that, that petition you've gotten up. This is not of God. You either do Matthew 18 or we'll confront you. Well, the guy didn't show up on Wednesday. And on Sunday, he and his family went to Dallas and they joined one of the big churches there in Dallas and moved their membership from First Baptist Church Bonham. So they were driving 80-some-odd miles to church every Sunday. But you know what happened? Peace and harmony came in that church. When they realized there were some people who were willing to stand up for God's man and let him be God's man because they prayed for him, they, they, they uh, paid him well, they participated, and they protected him. That's how you get rid of your pastor because somebody's going to hear it and they're going to come and steal him away from you. Now, I say that tongue-in-cheek. What's the opposite of these things? Every day you're praying. Every day you're taking care of him. Every day you're participating. And every day you're standing with him. And there are days that the devil gets after him and creates dis discouragement. Summertime attendance always gets low. Oh, gosh. There's a saying in ministerial circles, don't resign on Monday. You wait until Thursday. Because the devil will work you over Sunday night. He'll work you over Monday, but somewhere Tuesday or Wednesday, God is going to use somebody to lift up your pastor. I'm saying to you, my friends, God sent you a wonderful pastor. And because of the love of Christ Jesus for you, there comes a time you need to let him know you love him and reaffirm him and stand with him and protect him.
And today may be one of those days that you may be one of those people who've been out of fellowship with him or whatever. I don't know. But every time I've been here, I've sensed a great spirit of love for him. And you need to reaffirm that from time to time. To love him. To encourage him. Because the devil will destroy him if you don't help him with his burdens. Are you with me? So today the invitation is this. Are you willing to commit yourself to being the man, the woman, the young person of God he wants you to be to help bear the burdens that come with being a pastor and a pastor's family? Are you willing to say, you can count on me, pastor, because this is what the Lord has laid on my heart for me to do? Are you willing to make that kind of commitment? Next Sunday when he comes in, or whenever he's supposed to come back from vacation, you need to greet him and hug him and let him know, thank God you're back because we put up with Randall Scott and we want to hear a good preacher. You need to be one to encourage him, to minister to him and his wife and family. You need to send him cards. I cannot tell you how many times I would be under attack by the devil. I'd be so discouraged about something. And somebody would send me a card that says, Pastor, we love you, or a letter, or something of this nature. And it would just lift my spirit. Have an appreciation day. And it doesn't have to be the official one that's held throughout the year. Just surprise him. If you surprise him hard enough, he'll die with a heart attack, and then you'll be rid of him. No, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. But do you hear what I'm saying to you? Because, folks, here's the seriousness of it. The last data I saw, and Morgan, it may be greater, we were losing over 1,500 pastors a year across the Southern Baptist Convention because of despair and the frustrations and the pressure upon their families. Men of God were just walking away. That's a tragedy. That's a tragedy beyond description. And you can say to the Lord, I'm going to support your man, our man, whatever it takes, that he will be the man of God you've called him to be. So at the invitation time, it may be that you need to come and make a public dedication of this. Or you may want to say to one another, I'm going to support my pastor. Or you may be the town gossip. And the Holy Spirit is saying to you, it's time to clean up your act and get yourself right. Or you may be one who's able to help bear the burdens, whatever it may be. Will you say yes to the Lord? Let's have our prayer and then our musicians come and we'll have our invitation. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we love you. And we praise you for who you are, the almighty God, and there is none other. And that, Father, you bring pastors into our lives who help mold us and make us to be the people of God you would have us to be. And, Father, today, as we come to this time of which we invite people to respond to the Holy Spirit's bidding, 
I pray, Lord, this will be the time that the members of this church will say, Lord, I will be the person you would have me to be in Christ Jesus. I will support our pastor, his family. I will love them. I'll pray for them. I will do everything to protect him, to participate. All these things, Father, I will do. And I will do it unashamedly, openly, publicly for the world to see. Lord, I pray that this message will not fall on deaf ears, but that people will sense the spirit with which it's presented. Bless them. Bless this church. Bless this time of commitment is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.